I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, uh, Minisode 27. I was start. It occurred to me the I was just doing the intro for an actual episode. With the minisodes, I don't really have an official intro. I just say, "Hey, everybody," and then I just move on. Whereas uh, with the normal episodes, I say, "Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, Episode Blank." Um, but yeah, so I. Uh, Sorry, everybody. You, you do this for a long enough time, and you kind of get on autopilot. Although these days, I think I do more minisodes than episodes. Moving on. Uh, so, we are going to be talking about Josh's second favorite movie of all time in this episode. Uh, but first, I wanted to throw out uh, just a quick uh, an, uh, announcement of something that you could find on the website. I will welcome in my co-host, Josh Long, right now. Josh. Hi. How you doing? Doing all right. All right. Uh I don't know how many people that are listening to this. I don't know how many of them are aware of a movie called My Son. It is a film that I had heard about through a number of sources, and what I had heard about it was simply I don't. Th- I, I knew about it before I knew the title. I knew it as the the rated R Christian movie, and so uh, and I was intrigued, uh, but at the same time. Because part of me is like, oh, rated R. Okay, so that means it's not necessarily shying away from things that happen in real life. You know, assuming that the characters aren't Christian. Frankly, maybe even if they are. Mm. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of rated R goings on. Um, but uh, so I was excited about that. But then almost immediately, my first thought was like, well, if they're leading with that, if they're leading with, oh, this is the rated R Christian film. I'm like, oh, well, now maybe they'll be so focused on having these other elements that maybe it's not like the worst thing about Christian film is that there was no swearing, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, so I was a little uh, wary of it. I've not seen the film, but uh, the uh, I believe the director of the film sent me an email asking if we want if we would want to review it. And so uh, Josh watched the film and uh, you can read his review on the website, but the review will also feature a larger discussion of what I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so, a, yeah. but by the time, by the time, uh, this episode goes up, the, that review will be online. So before we get to the, uh, the, the mini sode proper, I just wanted to ask just very briefly, like, what did you, not necessarily, what did you think of the movie, but in regards to what we're talking about, the, the R rated element about it and maybe it leading with that. And I don't know, because you've done more research on this than than I have, mm-hmm. because every article I've read about it, they push the fact that oh, it's R rated, but I don't know if that's something that the studio or whatever the company that made it, if they're pushing that or other outlets are pushing that. Yeah, I ne- I need to do a little research into that because I'm not 
I'm not entirely sure which uh, how the producers themselves feel about it, whether they feel like it's a good thing to show that they are able to be, um, you know, to not toe the line of partic- of, of normal Christian movies and mm-hmm. are able to kind of reach outside what some Christian movies would be comfortable with, or if they are feeling like they did not want the R rating and are not happy with it. Right. Um, so I'm not... I had one impression of it from looking at the website and then some things you were telling me about it made it seem like maybe I had uh, misunderstood that. So, Well, but what was the impression that you got? Because that's the thing is I haven't heard much about it for a while. Yeah. But you've done more re- more recent research than I have. I mean, from watching the film, I, it does not feel like it does not feel to me like it is trying to push the fact that it's an R rating. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel that way. Um, I do think, you think the film deserve it deserves its R rating, or do you think it's it could be a PG thirteen? It could. Uh, it, it's right on the line. Okay. I feel like it's one of those ones where it's right on the line where there's not you know there's not a lot of language in it. Well, there's not any language in it. There's there's no sexual content in it um it's rated r for uh there's some drug use and and violence okay but it's that's the thing if in fact it is a situation where they did not want the r rating and feel that it's unwarranted um it's it's a certain type of violence that i feel like does get movies more severe ratings hmm. um, because it's a more kind of real world violence. Okay. Um, it's not action movie violence. No. It's like like training day violence or like a, a, yeah. almost a gritty kind of violence. Well, in, in the sense that it's it's something that that is more upsetting to people because it it, it hits home a little bit more. Like oh, even, okay. even training day isn't that because like m- none of us are most people don't live in that world. Granted, people do, obviously, but right. the general populace are unfamiliar with that world of, of uh, you know, very, very dangerous crime-ridden neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, but we all can relate to, and it isn't a spoiler to say, because the, the the film sets this up at the beginning, it involves a church shooting. Oh, okay. And I so see. that's something that, you know, like much like a school shooting is very it's something that is very it hits home to people it's very uncomfortable it's very it's a very real threat um and so one i was saying to someone that i don't remember if there is other content in it but united 93 is a is an r rating right is it that I, guess we I don't know. I guess I if if you were to ask me, I would instinctively say it was PG thirteen, but it could be an R. And I think it might be because it's that type of violence. You know, like it's something that is real world disturbing, and um, uh, so I, I or uh, another one that I I just checked. It is rated R. Yes. It is okay. Yeah. Um, oh, I had another one on the tip of my tongue that was something. So, oh. I do not remember the other content in this movie, so that maybe there is a lot of language in it or something, but the movie Elephant, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember if there's a lot of other stuff in it, but... I think it, it feels... I don't remember there being a lot of language. There is a, there's like a scene of sexuality, but it's not in depth. Right, um, and, and it's more... I remember that one. There's no nudity. There's no like. Right, it's more just the fact of it. Right. Um, but that I think, I think... And you don't see a lot of like... 
horrendous violence. It's yeah, more just rated even... R because of the nature of the content. Exactly. I think. And I, th- I think uh, that is most likely why this one gets that type of rating because because of the nature of the violence. And this okay. one, you you do see some violence. I'll say that. Okay. Um. So. Uh, so yeah, in terms of whether or not an R rating is deserved, I, I think it's reasonable. I don't think okay. it's. Uh, I don't think it's. Uh, you know, too much to give this okay. this film an, an R rating. And it's and it sounds like it is a, a situation where there's. If in fact it is the studio that is pushing, like, hey, this is this kind of movie, you know, if that's the case. Um, then that means that there is a a possibility or not, but there's always the possibility that, you know, that the filmmakers themselves maybe played up certain things because they realize, Oh, this is kind of a hook Mm. one way or another. We're we're going to get a lot of press about this, either positive or negative, but either way, we're going to get a lot. There's people are going to talk about this. So maybe we'll play this up in a way that maybe is not artistically organic. Um, did you ever get that sense, or did it seem like it it came from the story? I think it I think it comes from the story. Yeah, I I didn't feel like it was something that the that the filmmakers were trying to force. Um, okay. I think any kind of like media storm that's come afterwards is probably more of a marketing thing thought okay. of afterwards. I don't think I don't think the film's made with that in mind. Okay. Um, All right. Um, and and uh, as far as what you thought of the film, uh, listeners can go to morethanonelesson.com dot com and look up your review and find out more about this film, what you thought of it. And you'll be talking about some of, you'll be incorporating some of what we just talked about into your article as yeah. well. But yeah, I, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, and who knows, if the, day may, if the film gets uh, like a wide release and if it gets any kind of audience, then maybe it's something we'll talk about for this show. I'm not sure yet. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, all right, enough of that. Enough. We're going to talk about a movie that is that earns its R rating. I'll say that. <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, okay, so we're talking about Josh's second favorite film of all time. Yesterday, Today, and Forever. I don't know about forever. What? I thought you liked this movie. I mean, I, I feel like I can't predict all future movies that I might like more. Well, you only need to like two more. You mean to complete my list of ten? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I've, I mean, in my head, I've completed the list already, so. Oh, fair enough. If okay. there are others that I need to add that have not yet come out. Uh, All right. I'm saying maybe you'll you'll like something more, and it will displace your number one. Oh, like before we record. Oh, my. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> how, how would that be if it were a movie that I, I would see it and I would say everything else in the list stays the same, but the first movie yeah. has been supplanted by a movie that I just saw. Yeah. that It's like, that's number like 14 now. Mm-hmm. My number one. Because that's, here's the thing. It, your number one is a documentary about how much your former number one is terrible. <laughs> Like, I feel like that's the only way that could happen. It's it's true. It's poetic justice. Oh, man. Getting knocked off your your throne. Number one movie that I won't say. It's going to be... It, what if it was something that came back and I was like, listen, guys, this week I finally saw Because of Winn-Dixie, and <laughs> I, I, I got to change things. I got You know what? We're starting from scratch. <laughs> I got to change things in my list and my life. Oh, absolutely. And then just... 
And then you give it to me. It's like, you know what, guys? I got to change my list. <laughs> it's the one thing we agree on. Because that's something that we've we've talked about, is that our top ten. There is no overlap between your top ten Which and mine. very strange. It does seem strange. I feel like now... I take it as a personal affront. It is. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. that's why I did. You looked at my list and you're like, "Well, no, this is getting yeah. on there." Yeah. What am I going to boost Tyler's ego? No, I don't think so. He doesn't need that. Night of the Hunter. No, it sucks. I love sucks. that. I did love that movie. Now, now, junk. yeah, it's okay, it's- I guess. <laughs> but um, okay, if I had to watch it. But enough dancing around this, Josh. All right. Your second favorite film of all time. What is it? Is it a hint? Dancing. I don't think so. It's not. We always play this up, but you know, is people, it Footloose? <laughs> it's Footloose. Um, but people are probably, you know, yeah, they clicked on it, seeing what the they title saw, was. what it was already. Yeah. Um, so it's Fargo. Fargo. Not to be confused with Argo. Yeah. It's one or Rango <laughs> or Django. Uh, this could go on forever. Let's not do that. Yeah. Um, or Ringu. No. No. I said it was over, Tyler. Right. <laughs> This is my show. <laughs> Not for long. Not for long. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're, oh man, the, I can't tell you how many podcast coups there, there have been, you know. <laughs> I'm going to write books about them someday. I should write a book about podcast coups. Oh man. Uh, even in saying that, I thought how bored, I, I got bored. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you're like, aha, top of the heap. Oh, oh wait a second. Yeah. Um, no, but yes, it's, uh, it's Fargo. Joel and, Joel and Ethan Cohen's. Fargo, yeah, based on, based on the novel pushed by Sapphire. That's the one. Uh, that's not true. Um, oh, but it is based on a true story, right? You know, that's a good question <laughs> because uh, there's a whole there's a whole thing about that because it does it does start out by uh, by saying that it's based on a true story, and the Coen brothers have come out and said, no, it's not really. <laughs> They've said it's kind of. Somebody said, someone has said it is loosely based on the the true story that another movie is based on but i think that's just someone who i forget the movie it might have been like texas chainsaw massacre or something like that that seems like it can't be the same story yeah but i think that's put onto it afterwards by someone who was just trying to come up with a true story that might in some way connect to the story of Fargo. It does seem like the type of story that would be true. Well, it does. And that's, and that's part of the reason that they put that, that they fallaciously put that in there is, um, to them, it, they wanted it to be something that could really happen. Like not, yeah. it's not supposed to seem like, uh, dramatic or overly dramatic or melodramatic or anything like that. It's supposed to seem like a real life story. And, um, as far as the elements of the story, it is. It does mm-hmm. seem that way. Um, now, one of the things that I've always liked about the Coen brothers is they tend to sort of heighten their stories. I don't know if that's exactly the right word, but there's a there's a uh, there's an approach to most of their films that uh, seems. I'm, I'm wanting a lot of things I'm wanting to say are not in, exactly right. Like I'm wanting to say off kilter with reality. That's not entirely true. Um, maybe there's some kind of sense of theatricality to it. Yeah, I think they they have strong genre sensibilities, and everything is 
I think everything they every film they made has been heightened by at least one notch. Yeah, I think some of them several notches. Yeah, but I think Fargo probably one. Yeah, I think heightened is 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 the best word. I started to think that right before you said it, and so yeah, I think that's um because I'm trying to think like what movies of theirs have taken place in our like in our reality and. And 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 the and they shoot and they make the film in such a way as to emulate that. Right, that's the thing. A lot of them closest I, you've got is Blood Simple that I was and Fargo. Say, Blood, Sim- Blood Simple is the closest one to feeling like it happens in our reality and shot yeah. that way. But most of them uh, ostensibly take place in our reality, but are not shot that way. Are shot in in kind of, in a in a heightened sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'd say Fargo is one that I'd say is kind of written that way as well. Um, because though it is a story that is, it's a story that is very dark. Yeah. Um, it is also very funny and intentionally, you know, um, there's, uh, I I think part of the, part of the whole point of Fargo is this contrast between the light and uh, the contrast between the light and the heavy. Mm -hmm. Um, because you spend one scene with uh, Francis McDormand as March Gunderson. Uh, if you were to spend a whole movie with just that character in kind of her, her life outside of these, these events, mm-hmm. it might be a very, it would be very light kind of humorous. Yeah. It would um, be seen like, let's say you have that a whole movie spent with her and she's investigating, you know, crimes that are horrendous it would still be viewed almost like an episode of monk mm. where murder has happened and the character is engaging with the dark, but the main character is, is always light and fun. You enjoy spending time with them, you know? Yeah. But yeah, this is very much, you see like the depths of human depravity and yeah. then you see like, uh, goodness. Yeah, and I feel like the the most interesting things to me about it are a lot of the themes. So uh, I want to get to that, but first we can talk a little bit about the technical aspects of it. I'm um, just to kind of get that out of the way, sure, because <laughs> that's all great. Um, the acting's fantastic. Uh, Frances McDormand won an Oscar for that one, yeah. and that the character that she creates is one of my favorites. I think mm-hmm. in all in all film, it's got to be top five if not like top three yeah. when, when battleship pretension did their like listener generated list of the top hundred characters i think she was in the top 10 if not like number like 11 or something like yeah. that um because and part of it is there's something you can't figure out exactly about her you know like she seems so so lived in and so complete yeah but uh, at the same time, you're like, what? What? What made her this way? Why? She <laughs> is she like this? She is constantly subverting expectations. Exactly. Like there's, yeah. there's like two instances. One is because of how she talks. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got that accent, um, and the way she carries herself, and the fact that she's pregnant, mm-hmm. like which is kind of a vulnerable thing right. that that constantly reminds you that oh, she's a woman in what would what could be considered a man's world, not merely mm-hmm. the world of cops, but the world of crime in general. Yeah. But anyway, uh, but you would just feel like, well, how good at her job can she be? I mean, she's probably never in hit run across anything like this before mm-hmm. and she's out of her depth, but then she's not, she's clearly not. Yeah. You know, and she, 
But she's not a genius either. She's right. just a good cop. That's what I was about to say. Not in, not in a monk way, if right. you will. Not in something that. Not in a way that that we suddenly realize. Oh, she's like the best cop on the force or something. No, she's just a good cop, yeah. and she follows the clues like any cop probably would, and it leads to the ultimate conclusion. Yeah. Um, so that's the first thing, and the second thing is you mentioned she feels lived in, and you see some of her home life, mm-hmm. and it's so interesting. I oh, man, I love it. it. Just you look at her life with norm played by john carroll lynch an actor that i think is underrated and mm-hmm. then thankfully he was in zodiac so there's something we can all point to and say look how brilliant this guy is yeah but um their life seems so mundane mm-hmm. and boring and maybe even a little like suffocating that like oh their their life's kind of sad you know prowler needs to jump probably needs a jump. but also like they fall asleep watching like a nature documentary like yeah. it just it seems like they're bored but they're deeply in love with one another like yeah. they and they care deep you know oh yeah the whole thing with the stamps the like stamps, the fact yeah. that he brought her arby's he will he will make her eggs mm-hmm. to take care of her but then you know when he he's a painter and one of his paintings winds up on the 3 cent stamp you know <laughs> and that she's like i mean you you're married, as am I. Both of us are seeking, are endeavoring to do things that are hard to break into, mm-hmm. you know, artistic in some way. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure there have been times when when I've had, like, a small kind of success. But I even I recognize, like, well, I mean, come on. But Jen's like, no, this is great, you know. Yeah. And I'm sure Megan's done the same thing for you. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to say it's something that, like, women do for men. It goes the opposite way right, as well. Right. It's just a, 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 it's the supportive spouse thing. Yeah. And they're they're great to watch that way, both of them. Yeah, it's, um, and that's the thing is, so she's a good cop in a good marriage when she seems like she's a rube in a boring marriage. Right, That and that's that's the way a much... Uh, a far inferior script would probably use that character. Yes. Um, uh, so then while we're talking about acting, uh, William H. Macy's fantastic as Jerry Lundegaard. That's mm-hmm. such a conflicted character um, who is, does a lot of bad things and yet we can kind of see where he's coming from and we can see how he ends up there. And um th- He's so pathetic and tragic in so many ways and in a way that doesn't allow you to hate him. Yeah. Um, like where where we think she is out of her depth in regards to the world of crime, he is. He, right, yeah. And that's that's one thing I want to talk about when we get to the themes is there's sort of these varying degrees of where these people are along this scale. Um, and taking us sort of to the end of that scale then is we get to Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare. Yeah who uh, are a <laughs> it's funny that we can laugh at these characters because they're terrible terrible people but th- yeah. there's they're funny throughout the movie uh, peter stormer has this weird disaffected like uh distance from anything that's happening to him um he's probably a sociopath um oh, yeah or probably. maybe psychopath <laughs> hey you know it's one of those <laughs> he's some kind either of way guy. he's on a path right um and the uh, just the idea of their partnership and sort of how that happened, like there again, feels lived in. There's this history to it, but um, but the history is interesting because you wonder how did that happen? What was it that brought these guys together? Like why are they staying together? Yeah. Um, 
And you get some sense of it, like with the character of like Shep Proudfoot, who right. knows what's what is Stormare's name? Gaier Grimsrud or something <laughs> like that. Just a ridiculous name. Um, like he he knows him and vouches for him, but he does not. He doesn't know Carl Showalter. He does not vouch for him. So like yeah. these guys got put together somehow, and right. it's a recent development. Yeah. And so, and the fact that like as they're driving, Steve Buscemi just keeps talking. And the other guy does not. Hmm. And this bothers Steve. This bothers Carl Showalter as though he's just learning that, oh, okay, I guess I'll have to do the lion's share of the talking. Yeah. Yeah. And he does. Mm-hmm. Boy, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, so that's, again, acting all around is great. Um, the 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 script is fantastic. Um the, Winner of best original screenplay that year. Yeah, and the script not only creates all these fantastic characters, but gives them a lot of. Not only, like we said, are there a lot of funny, great quips, like quotable stuff. Um, it, there's also very moving moments. A lot of the ones with Norm and uh, and uh, Norman uh, Marge. French and Marge. I kept wanting to say Francis. Um, and uh, and particular one of the ones the parts that i love the most is her sort of almost shakespearean monologue at the near the end of the film Um, yeah almost shakespearean (laughs) but incredibly simple yeah and that's that's where the where the genius lies um in the in the last uh minisode we talked about citizen kane and there just being so much going on with that film but of course a lot of how that film is made, you feel like there's something going on, and, and it seems like there's something going on. Mm. With Fargo, it's deceptive. Yeah. I mean, I remember I saw that. I saw it with my dad in 96. I think we saw it on video, and there was something that I liked about it. I was not in the, you know, I was, <laughs> I was 14, 15, um, <laughs> and I was not in a position to, to know what i liked about it but i knew i just knew i liked it and then i stupidly recommended it to my friends who watched it and they're like what was the point of that <laughs> which is weird because i i similarly wanted to show it to a bunch of my friends in high school and we watched it at some kind of sleepover we were having and no one exactly felt uh, as enthused about it as i did so um it's it's strange that we both had that experience <laughs> yeah i had it with a number of films but you know what sometimes uh people were pleasantly surprised like yeah but that's the thing like i can't think of any it's it's kind of adorable when i think back to me as <laughs> yeah. like a 15 year old being like <sighs> like i watched reversal of fortune which which i picked for movie night once and so yeah. you've seen it right i loved it and, and i thought it was amazing right then I let and I bought it. My I think my brother bought it for me as a birthday present <laughs> at fifteen, I think. And then I lent it to my friend, and he's like, "Yeah, I guess it. I guess it's good." As if to say, like, "Why did you give what this are you talking to me?" About <laughs> I want to go see Armageddon. Why aren't you letting me do that? It was so, like, but the fact that that didn't occur to me—that right. someone might watch this movie—and not they didn't. He didn't say it was bad, right? But he just said like. Just didn't understand why you would lend that to your friend. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But um But he liked Maltese Falcon, so I'll take that. See, sometimes, you know. Uh sometimes they'll get through to somebody. But uh anyway. Uh what were we saying? We we're saying uh Oh that there's a 
there's a quality to it that I feel like if, if you watch it, I mean, I was young when I saw it, so I couldn't really verbalize it. Um, but there was just something to it mm-hmm. that I was like, this is this is astounding. What What is going on here? Because it's um, a simple story on the surface, but yeah. there's a lot more going on behind it. And that and that monologue at the end. I mean, you're right. Yeah. It's some of the best writing I've ever heard. Yeah. Delivered wonderfully. But it's so simple. Mm-hmm. There's more to life than a little bit of money, you know, and here you are and it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. day, yeah. And it's just... Uh, 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 see, I got goosebumps. <laughs> um, just thinking of it. Yeah. But it's so, like, more to life than a little bit of money. Anybody would say that. Yeah. It's some. It's a concept and, you've heard a million times. And then I think she, she says something like either, don't you know that, or didn't anyone ever tell you that? Don't you know that? I think it's don't you know that. Yeah. And just... And it seems... It, and the fact that, like, it's a pregnant woman saying that because she's speaking to him like a mother. Yeah. And it's such a, oh, it's such a, just a heartbreaking and yet just beautiful moment. Yeah. And it's because it's a, it's simplicity. It's because, yeah. like, she's saying this thing that you've heard a million times before, but don't you know that? Right. We That's all she all could be- say about it. Yeah. And, and she's faced with... And we'll get, I guess I'll talk a little bit more about this when we get into the themes, but when she's faced with this thing, this guy and what he's done, she can't, like, she can only approach that on her terms, on her terms of like, don't you know that? Like, if you had heard this, yeah. if you had known that there's more to life than that, then you wouldn't have done this. Yeah. And like, cause that's the way her mind works. And yet here's this guy who may or may not know that, I guess, but yeah. who is so far from what makes sense to her and from from her world. And Peter Stormare is great there too because yeah. he looks like a kid in the principal's office. Yeah, he looks. He he's a, a fairly large guy. He's, a, he's in reality he can be an imposing a, presence. Yeah, especially compared to her. Right. But he is small there, mm-hmm. and yeah. he just looks like you know tail between his legs, like the whole deal. Right. And then of course, but of course, that's not the last scene. The film, the last scene is her and Norm again. Right. You know, we're doing pretty good. Yeah. And it's just, it's so wonderful. And it's something that at the time, I'm sorry, uh, this is your f- second favorite film and I'm talking a lot about it. I will stop talking after I say what I say. That's fine. Um, that's probably not true. But, um, <laughs> you shouldn't stop talking entirely. But that, that concept is something, and maybe you experienced this the same way. That last scene I loved, I had an appreciation for. Then I got married. And, okay. It is, at the time of recording, it is 6.01 p.m. In one hour and 59 minutes, I will be watching The Amazing Race on CBS with my wife. (laughs) Who cares? Like, someone would say, and then, by the way, on Wednesdays at 8 o'clock, we watch Survivor. It's a thing that we do. We both love it. Appointment. It's an appointment. Yeah. It's the only appointment I keep, by the way. I'm late to everything. But, like, but it's, it's so strange because... Years ago, before I was married, I would look at that and I would say, so I'm going to be part of a couple who cannot wait to watch Survivor. (laughs) And this is like when we feel closest to each other. How about this? How about I just don't get married? Like, (laughs) but that's the thing is like in that moment, it's just about my wife and myself doing this thing that we like and the thing itself is 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 fine it's interesting there's nothing necessarily wrong with it but it's just that we're doing it together 
And the fact that both of us like it amplifies this thing much more. And when you look at it that way, it's like, oh, it's just the fact that we're it's it's us. It's about us. And it's and that's why they can. That's why Norm and Marge can fall asleep watching this this insect documentary. It's why they can do these things that seem mundane because it's not about the things they're doing. Right. It's about the fact that they're together. You know, like mm-hmm. this is what she means when she says there's more to life than a little money. Like. In this case, she's talking about money, but it could be anything. Any of these things that distract us from the things that really matter. Yeah. But anyway, I'll say that. But that's something. And again, maybe you maybe you've experienced that. But like taking tremendous pleasure in what would seem on the outside to be mundane. Yeah. That's something I did not understand until I got married. Hmm. Yeah, totally. But anyway. Okay. Um, uh, themes or whatever. Yeah, well, we just again technical things we didn't didn't touch on yet necessarily. The the cinematography is yeah. uh, by Roger Deakins, who, if you don't know him, he's one of the greats. Yeah. Not um, an Oscar winner as of yet. Yeah, which is so strange when you look at the movies that he's done, and you're like, yeah, these are some of the most beautiful to look at movies that I've ever heard of. Not a no Oscar. I forget. But, did you ever see Assassination of Jesse? Yes, James? that movie's beautiful. He was nominated for two Oscars that year. Yeah, for. Uh, no Country for Old Men yeah. and Assassination of Jesse James. And he lost to Robert Ellswit for There Will Be Blood, which is also beautiful. But yeah. I think Assassination of Jesse James is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. Yeah, definitely. But um, anyway, go on. Yeah, uh, but that's just another technical achievement. It's, uh, you know, there's enough frames in there that you feel like you could hang on your wall in your uh, oh, yeah. in your apartment. Um, because it, And it captures some of the greatest cinematographies is stuff that can capture the themes of the movie. It captures like the barrenness of some of these places. Um, it captures the contrast between, uh, between Marge's world and between, uh, the, the criminal's world. And, um, I, I, there's a lot of points where I think it, it captures even how trapped Jerry Lundegaard is. Um, so anyway, all, all that to say, that's another amazing aspect of the film. Um, and so uh, then speaking about the themes, the uh, one of the reasons I think it resonates with me so much is is because there's a very clear good and evil story going on. It's mm-hmm. a lot, kind of what uh, Reed talked about when we were talking about The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. He was saying there's a very clear good and evil, and that's one of the things that stands out so much out of it. And um, this is – I feel like Fargo speaks so much to the um, – from a Christian perspective, kind of the, the fallen nature of the world, hmm. um, because you see the, you see this con. I, I see in it three different people at three different sort of stages along this scale of uh, of good and evil, if you will. Hmm. Um, Marge is on the good side; she's far on one side, and she is what uh, she's. It almost seems like the stereotype world, but. <laughs> talking about leave it to beaver a little bit earlier like it seems like marge would fit in in, a, in an episode of leave it to beaver oh yeah um but something that's very comfortable normal um you know the world as we understand it the world as it probably should be lived yeah um then you go one step up and you've got jerry lundegaard william h macy's character and he is he still lives in marge's world but he's moving away from it because he's because it's not giving him what he wants. He's not getting what he wants out of the world. Right. And so he, in in a sense, makes a deal with the devil. You know, he, he tries to do something that... Uh, he, he plays with forces that he's not 
that he doesn't understand, that he doesn't understand why they're bad and how bad they are and what that means. Mm -hmm. And when he does that, you know, that's the inciting incident for the whole film. That's what brings all this down on him. And uh, like you talked about someone being out of control and uh, and trapped, and he he is for almost all of the film. Yeah. Yeah, I think you can say all the film. He's trapped. Um, and, uh, and then past him, you get Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare who have their characters that have given themselves over to this sense of evil. And like, that's the world that they live in. Um, that's, uh, it's almost, it's hard for us to relate to because it's, you know, none of us, first of all, none of us are murderers, but, uh, right. None, None of us. Of us. <laughs> um, but uh, to, for it to be so commonplace, commonplace to where it's come to be for them, like mm-hmm. this is just a normal life and they don't care. Like there is no sense of um, that they are evil. They would never have that thought. They were like, this right. is just what I do. This is what I want to do. And yeah. this is the way it works. And because they're so far on the opposite end of the spectrum from March, then when it all kind of clashes together is uh, this I like when I say it speaking about the fallen nature of the world you're almost looking at like this is what it could be and what it should be but this is what this is here like this yeah. evil presence is here you can't deny it yeah. um, and so then how do you how do you deal with that? First, how do you reconcile that these two worlds coexist? Mm-hmm. And then what is your response to that? And I feel like it it asks those questions and it gives you gives you some different options. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. And, you, you mentioned that in your view, there are like three stations. I would say there are four. Mm-hmm. In between Marge and Jerry, you have Wade. Uh, you have Wade Gustafson, which is Jerry's father-in-law, who is not a criminal. Oh, okay does not entertain the notion of criminal enterprise Mm. still lives in the legit world, but is not himself a good guy. Mm. Like he, and he asserts dominance pride. He wants his own way just as much as anybody else. And, but he has the ability to get it Mm -hmm. if he wants. Yeah. And so, so I feel like he, he's, I think because he is in many in many in the eyes of many like an upstanding citizen because he would never break the law mm-hmm. he's viewed as a good person but we know he's not because yeah. to him it's about it's well no different really than than Carl Showalter or anything like that they want their own way mm-hmm. as does Jerry yeah um but Jerry has no way of getting his way whereas Wade does mm-hmm. and in the end that's all that matters yeah. and so i feel like I feel like if you look at the, I think between those four, you have the spectrum. Hmm. You have Marge, who is living very much in the legit world and trying to be, 
self-sacrificing, trying to do uh, uphold these ideas of what of how you're supposed to live. Then you get somebody who is also living in the legit world, but is not living like that. Then mm-hmm. you get the transition into well, now I'm just doing criminal things. Yeah, but I but I wish I wasn't. But you know what? I feel like I should do this. Yeah. Then you get the people who have no absolute absolutely no qualms. Yeah. Um, you could even maybe say that there's a step between Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare. Like the, maybe yeah, there could be a bit of a break there. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, it's interesting. I've had a. I remember because this was, has been one of my favorite films for a long time, and um, I did have to kind of defend it to some people in Christian circles because of the content. There's a, as we said earlier, it easily earns the R rating, and yeah. part of the reason is there's a good bit of language in it. <laughs> um, yeah, mostly almost all from of, one character. Yeah, but I think that's on purpose, and that's one of mm-hmm. the reasons that I have defended this film about this to people is. Um, there's that's one of the things that sh- that points up that contrast so much more, especially because there's even a scene when um, uh, it, I don't remember if it's I think it is Jerry. It's either Jerry or his kid. I think it's his son uses yeah a swear word in some conversation in the house, and yeah. the reaction that the parents have like we can't believe that you said that. And then there's a customer who's talking to Jerry. And and he says you're a liar, Mister Lundergaard, uh, an effing liar. Yeah. And the effort that it takes has for him to, go to, to say to use that thing. word, yeah. yeah. I think I think this is a movie that knows what it's doing with its foul language, honestly. Oh, yeah. um, and I, because those two those two instances particularly point up how this world is so much different than the world of of the, those criminals, and that what they what these people invite in when they what jerry invites in when he brings them into this world yeah and that's not to, it's not to necessarily imply that we're saying like if you swear then clearly you're no better than uh, <laughs> than these, these <laughs> right, criminals right, right. but it is a it's a very clear contrast like yeah. there is there's a pra, there's a uh, practical artistic use to the way they use swearing yeah um but yeah and there's and that's the thing is there is also a couple of sex scenes uh involving prostitutes and mm-hmm. I'm sure some people would be upset by that but it's just like but that's the thing is we are dealing with like the criminals who at this point they're gonna do they, they are acting entirely on instinct yeah they'll kill somebody if they feel like they have to um, and in some cases maybe even if they don't have if to they're just angry yeah and just and if they and like oh well I'm I, we're 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 new to this town so where can I go to get laid like that's mm-hmm just constantly feeding themselves and then eventually finding out that uh, what they want that they're actually somewhat insatiable Mm -hmm. Um, as opposed to Margie who is the picture of contentment yeah you know but uh, man oh man there's so much it's a wonderful film but it's one that I mean you know the Mike Yanagita scene (laughs) throws people yeah the scene I, I used to do a back in my uh, theater acting days and such. Uh, one of my monologues that I would do for an audition is the one with Mister Mister Amora, where you just see him in a long shot where a cop that you've never met and a guy oh, you've yes, never yes, met yes. are talking, and the guy you've never met tells this story in which Carl Showal- Showalter has come to his bar and is telling stories about going crazy out there at the lake and all that kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, so I would do that as my comedic monologue. Yeah. Because I also got to do a voice, you know. <laughs> oh, geez, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, 
A funny looking guy. Yeah. Oh, he's a little guy, kind of funny looking. <laughs> it's like, uh, like in what way? Oh, just in a general kind of way. <laughs> uh, so brilliant. But, um, but yeah, like scenes like that, in many ways, like, well, they don't do anything to further the plot, strictly speaking, but they work wonders to set this, the standard for this world. Yeah. And, I mean, some people have said that, like, the Mike Yanagita scene and then the revelation that everything he said is basically a lie, yeah. like, that kind of sets Marge to realize, like, maybe I should look at this Lundergaard guy in a slightly different way. Yeah. Um, that somebody can lie to me so brazenly. Yeah. And so convincingly. Meanwhile, Lundergaard barely lies convincingly at all. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a very complicated... Fi- it's complicated and remarkably simple at the same time. Would you say... You and I had a conversation recently, not on air, about, you know, a director's, like, essential work. Like, the, like if this... If a filmmaker was remembered for one film, what would it be? Mm. Um, not to say that they haven't made other wonderful films, mm. but if it was... And so... And I think we mentioned Coen Brothers, and I think we said either Fargo or No Country for Old Men. Yeah. And if it were me, between the two, I would probably say Fargo. I think I would pick that as well. But, and and I don't want to be down on No Country for Old Men because I love that film. I think yeah. that's a great film. Um, when it, I was trying to think recently of films that are masterpieces that have come out while I'm like while I'm able to see them in the theaters, and yeah. I think that's one of them. Yeah. Um, but there are a few of them that year. Yeah, yeah. That was. I mean, we we're already talking about Assassination Jesse James and There Will Be Blood. And I mentioned Zodiac. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Excuse me. Anyway, uh, I think if I had to pick one that was more of their, you know, their essence, I I would probably pick Fargo. One, because it's got the Minnesota thing, which is part of who they are as filmmakers. Yes. Um, then it it has more humor to it than No Country for Old Men does. Yeah. Not that No Country for Old Men is humorless. It's not. It's, um, yeah, it's often very funny and in a very dry way. Right. But yes, this one has a humor that's almost silly at yeah. times. And there's and there's more of it, I think. It's more of yeah. a regular thing. That it, almost to the point that it's not really comic relief, you know? No, it's, it's it has been considered a comedy. I think it yeah. wound up on the AFI Top 100 comedy list. Yeah, a lot of people call it a black comedy. And you're yeah. like, I, I mean, in a it, way... Right, it seems appropriate. <laughs> it's like, that, I think, is the true... Like, that is the essence of the Coens. Mm-hmm. They make a genre film that makes... It, Comedy is not a genre, but they, they mm-hmm. make something within a genre or within a certain category. And you're like, yeah, I guess it's that. But I mean, w- what about this? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I know. It's still funny, though, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I guess so. But yeah. it's just they're hard to categorize, yeah. you know. And No Country is a wonderful film, but it's a little bit easier to categorize. Yeah. You know, modern yeah. day Western with some with some comic relief. Yeah. Whereas this is a comedy with occasional brutal violence mm-hmm. and very heavy themes. Yes. That are explain that are by the way, explored in a way that is not at all, that is light as a feather. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> and, uh, and actually we're going to be going out, uh, on this episode. We, we didn't mention this. This is something that, that struck me. Um, the score for the film by Carter Burwell uh, who I think has become my favorite film composer. Mm. Uh, and this is maybe the first film in which I heard his score. I don't think mm. I had seen Barton Fink yet or anything like that. And it just resonated with me. I loved it so much. I asked for the score for Christmas that year, <laughs> and I got it. And I was so excited to like take it up to my room and listen to it. Um, 
we live we live weird lives, Josh. Uh, the the life of yeah. a, the life of a cinephile is a strange life. I think it's it's abnormal. The things you get excited about, like mm-hmm. at Christmas, yeah. Christmas is usually the one that does it because that's when that's when you have family giving you something on your list, and then you have to explain to your family what that <laughs> why thing you is. wanted it. <laughs> yeah, be like, oh my god! Like a few a few years ago, it's like, oh my gosh. My, you know, I, I, I received the movie, uh, the Criterion version of M on DVD, <laughs> and I was so super excited about it. And then my in-laws and, uh, like, Jen's grandparents and aunts and uncles, like, they were all there, and they're like, and they're always curious because they want to try to engage me, and, and they're, like, <laughs> they're like, oh, what's that one about? It's like, German serial killer, child murderer. I said it's about a a a, a child murderer. (laughs) And by the way, I I purposely didn't say probably a molester too. Like I was cleaning it up by merely saying that he murders children. You know, it's also eighty years old and from Germany. (laughs) It's like yes, I wanted it. This was top of my list. Like it's just it's so fascinating. But anyway, so yeah, so I. uh, I love the the work of of Carter Burwell, but specifically, what like what do you think of the music in the film? I like it. I it's it doesn't call attention to itself, which is one thing that I like about it. And interesting. <laughs> know, would you say otherwise? I would say otherwise. Really? I feel like think about to me. I think the score it starts very small and very mm-hmm. subtle, but there are moments, kind of at the beginning and certainly at the end when it gets kind of big, very mm-hmm. big and bombastic, and it's still good, obviously. Yeah. For a story that's so small. Yeah. And I don't think that's wrong. I think that actually underscores the big themes that are happening in in a small contained story. Yeah, maybe so. Um, I think I just, I when most of the scenes that I remember, I don't remember the music. That's true. And especially because a lot of the ones that I remember are the scenes with dialogue, and I think a lot of those ones don't have that much music. Um, it's it is fairly minimal during the movie. Yeah. Now that I think about yeah. it, yeah, yes, you're right, you're right. So we're both right. I don't like to, <laughs> I don't want to say I'm wrong, um, but yeah. So and we'll go out on on some of the music, but I just wanted to, to talk about that. But uh, now, how old were you when you first saw the film? Uh... That's a good question, because um, I saw it on TV first. Oh, okay. So right, so it's boy, you know, boy, uh, uh, cleaned up a little bit. But um, these guys don't seem like such bad guys. And so, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm not sure, but I feel like I saw it in high school on TV, and I, you know, we've talked about this on other episodes of the show, being one of those ones where I was like, oh wow, there's there's something to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you sought it out on your own mm-hmm. and did you was it like uh vaguely shocking when you saw it it, it for was reals? Little, it was a little of a surprise but i think i knew kind of that that uh especially the language like you can kind of tell in yeah, the movie yeah. that it's in there yeah um so yeah yeah it's it always fascinates me when a movie like glengarry glen ross or big lebowski or fargo stuff with tremendous language or the exorcist <laughs> oh Reed, yeah. we talked about that the other week that yeah. that was on tv and uh and it's just like but at least that has like like one scene mm-hmm. where it i mean 
you can if you edit around that scene you can you can make it work turns into things like your mother serves cokes in heck or something (laughs) (laughs) um but uh but yeah like i I was uh because i had seen big lebowski in the theater sticking with coen brothers stuff Mm. um i'd seen big lebowski in the theater and then when i i was at somebody's house and years later and they were showing it on like e Mm -hmm. uh and the scene in which Walter smashes the guy's car, <laughs> oh, yeah. saying one line over and over again, and just and Parm's like, "How about this? The, the amount of work that it goes that went into making this film acceptable on TV, I think maybe I don't know negates the purpose of showing the film at all. <laughs> so how about just don't show it? Clearly, this is not the movie you want it to be. So just don't do it." Um, but that goes to just my own, my own theory. Cause part of me is just like, unless you're going to show Fargo the way it is, just don't show it. You lose, you lose something, but obviously not because it was enough yeah. for you yeah. to, to seek it out and it's, and it's, uh, in all its glory. Yeah. But okay. All right. Yeah. Fargo, wonderful movie. Your second favorite film of all time. Second favorite. Coming up. My number one. It's just the favorites left. And the, exactly. It's all over, but the favorites. Absolutely. And then after that, uh, we will be, as as I've told, as I've said before, uh, after that, we'll be moving into talking about uh, the best of pictures. And we will spend the next 10 years talking about <laughs> the best pictures. Fine with me. It's, uh, you know, I, it's, I don't have to program a whole episode, you know. Um, I just said program like I was doing something really, like, impressive yeah. or something. Like, uh, like people program like a film festival. And it's like, oh, yes, I, mm. I program episodes that involve me and my friend getting together. And <laughs> sometimes I have to watch a movie to prepare. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Josh, for uh, for doing the bulk of uh, the talking on this episode and talking about uh, Fargo and what you love about it. And uh, listeners, if you've not seen it, I think we've done a fairly good job of not. I mean, we basically said, well, the good guys win in the end. Um but we don't say how, and we don't say some key scenes along yeah. the way. So, uh, so if you haven't seen it, please go watch it. And I envy you for getting <laughs> for getting to see this for the first time. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, so, thank you everybody for listening, Josh. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Thank you.